You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Robbie Quintero. All right, all right. What's going on, City Tribe? Hey, how are we doing today? We doing good? We're... Um, so one, let's give a round of applause for our student band, which by the way, when you're, when you're, when you drop off your middle or high school student at City Youth, I mean, that's the worship experience they get every uh, week and then they have to listen to me, unfortunately, but they get to listen to the band and they're incredible. So I'm very proud of them. They've come a super long way um, and, and, you should, and it's just really like if you were able to see how much growth they've done over the span of a year, it's just been Amazing. So again, one more time. Round of applause for Abel and the band. I'm so proud of them. Um, so, so real quick, just, just uh, a couple of things. Uh, you guys remember what your first job was? You guys remember the first job? Okay, uh, what was your first job? <laughs> Taco Bell. Was it an express or was it a full Taco Bell? Because that's the difference. Okay, full Taco Bell. What was your first job? Mowing lawns? Yeah, that's a, big, that's a big deal. I mowed the lawn like once and it was scary, so I don't know. Okay, but anyways, um, what was your first job? You remember? Golden Corral. Yeah, good times. Well, my, my first job, my first job, I was 16 years old, and I was a busboy at a, a Tex-Mex restaurant in Austin, Texas called Santa Rita, or the locals call it Santa Rita, right? And so we, it, was a, it was an incredible job. I mean, when I got this job, I was hyped. I can't even explain, express to you guys how hyped it was, because it meant a couple of things. One, it meant that I was one step closer to, like, adulthood, right? And so I was like, I'm a man. I got a job. I can provide for the family. Like, here we are. No, but... but um, but two, two, it meant that I was finally going to make my own money. And that was a big deal because that meant I didn't have to ask my dad for, like, anything anymore. I was like, yeah, here we go. Like, I make my own money. I remember my first paycheck was real life-changing. It was $67.65. And, and when I got it, I was like, I, I've, I've made it. I've arrived. Here we go. Adult Robbie. Here we go. And so I remember I spent the first $50.00 in one click on the internet, right? As a $50 of my $67 check, I spent on a pair of red and white pre-owned Nike shocks that I got off of eBay um, that wouldn't come in for like a month and that were a size too small. And I, <laughs> and I wasn't paying attention, but, but I wore them. I wore them with pride because they're my first purchase of my entire life with my own money. And I remember I would walk down the halls of my school in my work uniform, which was really just a t-shirt that said Mosh Cheeps on the back of it. And so I, I would walk down the, the, the halls of my school with my red and white shocks and my work uniform, and I would look down on all the students who weren't yet on my level of success. You know, I know, I know that when you got your first job, you did the same thing, right? Because, you know, that's what happened. So as I'm walking down the halls, I was kind of like, yeah, that's right. I mean, I was on board when it came to being a busboy. I was in. If passion were a person, I was that person. I was all about being a busboy at Santa Rita until, until I, I worked my first shift with the owner of the restaurant. Now, this man was about six foot three. He wore way too tight of shirts, had really dark hair, wore glasses, and was the meanest person I had ever met in my entire life. And like up until today, I have not met anybody who's more harsh than that man 
was. I mean, he would yell at his employees. He would embarrass and berate his employees. I mean, I was no exception to this. I remember the first time I worked with him, it was a Friday night. Uh, football games had just finished all around the city. People were coming to our restaurant because, to be honest, it was the spot to be at. It was pretty great. And so people would come to the restaurant. And I remember I was cleaning tables left and right, just cleaning all over the place. And I remember some guests were seated at a table that I had just cleaned. And you know, a few moments later, the owner called me over to that table. And when I got there, he was pointing at the table and he was pointing at a piece of chip that I had forgotten to wipe off from the table. And so I, you know, which is understandable. I mean, I was a 16-year-old boy whose idea of clean was just shoving everything under my bed and in my closet, you know. So, like, you know, the fact that I didn't shove, like, dirty plates underneath the table for people to find later was actually a big win for me, right? So here I am, and I'm just, so I'm like, oh, sorry, man. I just wipe off the table. No problem. And he says this to me in front of the, it felt like the entire world. It was in front of these random people I've never met before. He looked at me, and he said, why do you suck so bad at your job? I know, right? Isn't that crazy? Like, who tells a 16-year-old boy that? I mean, yes, okay, I've told some of my students. I'm just kidding. No, of course I haven't. But, but I, that's, that's messed up, right? And then it, he takes it a step further. That wasn't enough. He takes it a step further. He turns to the guest, and he says, it's so hard to find good help nowadays. I know, right? And I was like, you jerk. I remember I was so ready to just walk out of that restaurant, but I was like, but no, like, my, my shoes are so cool. Okay, so... In a moment, in a moment, what felt like a moment, I went from the most, the, the most passionate busboy that America had ever seen to one that had zero passion. In fact, I hated the job I was once so excited about because of one moment. Now, you know, this got me thinking of the question today, like, have you guys ever been, went from passionate to passionless in your life? Have you ever lost passion by a raise of hands for something in your life. Have you ever lost it? Raise your hands if you have. Look around, okay? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar, okay? Because we all have. We have all lost passion uh, for something. We'll see this a lot with kids that open up their new toys for Christmas, and in a year, it's going to be in the trash, most likely. I don't know. Who who knows? Um, But we have all been in this situation before. I mean, I know some of us right now have prayed and prayed and prayed and worked so hard to achieve the thing that we have today. And we, we are now living in the thing that we prayed for. We are now experiencing the thing that we prayed for. And it is now the thing that we complain about the most. Example, some of you fellas in here prayed really, really hard for a wife. And now you're annoyed by the way she eats. And so you complain about that all the time. Uh, Some of you, you know, prayed hard and hard and hard for that dream job. And you worked more than anybody in your entire company. And you got that job, but you still feel empty. You still feel empty. Or maybe your boss is just the worst and embarrasses you on a regular basis. You know, some of us, you know, some, some of us here, you and your spouse, you tried and tried for children. And now they're grown up children and you're disappointed in the decisions that they're making or the fact that they clean up after themselves like a 16-year-old boy. You know, and they shove everything in their, under their bed and, you know, in their closet. Or, you know, some of us, you know, taking a step further, stepped into a relationship with Christ this year. Maybe in January, you accepted Jesus into your life. You got baptized on Easter and we celebrated you and it's amazing. But 2019 just didn't go your way. And now you're sitting here in this seat and you're thinking to yourself, does God even exist? God, are you even there? God, do you even care about me? I mean, you, you, you get it, right? We've all experienced moments 
like these. And if I had to guess that some of us are sitting here in the theater, you're watching online or maybe listening by way of podcast, and you are sitting there thinking the question to yourself, where did my passion go? Where did my passion go? Well, the good news is that you're not alone when it comes to this question. In fact, this has been something people have struggled for many, many years. In fact, you see, you know, Jesus's followers struggle with uh, the same thing. And we're going to see this at work here in the uh, text that we are going to read today in the Bible. So let me give you a little bit of context before we get into scripture. Um, Jesus had, you know, been in his ministry for three years. He had now lived this perfect life and he has now been crucified on the cross for you and for me and for all of his followers. He has now been crucified. They have now taken him off the cross. They have put him in the tomb and three days have gone by. Three days have gone by. Now on the third day, this is his promise that he was going to raise, you know, raise again from that he was going to resurrect. And so here we are picking up in John chapter 20, verse 19. Um, it says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the, when the disciples, his you know, followers, his 12 closest followers the, that you know, have followed him for the past three years, the, his followers who have sat in every sermon, who have experienced every miracle, who saw... Um, who saw every single teaching, who uh, learned every principle, who saw his perfect lifestyle, his followers who got the full experience of the life of Jesus. It says when the, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, his followers who were once passionate about Jesus, who were on board with everything God was doing in their lives to followed this man around for three years and had all this passion for their job, were now found hiding, locked in a room, and afraid. And the reason for that, because their boy had just died. Three days have now gone by, and now they're afraid that they're next. And so they think the best way, the best thing, is to now hide. When, um, as they're hiding, this happens. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed. Everybody say overjoyed. overjoyed. Touch your neighbor and say overjoyed. overjoyed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, the scriptures don't do this moment justice, okay? Because these guys were not just, I mean, like overjoyed is the word they used to describe it. Some other texts use the word glad. But these guys were not just glad. I mean, you're glad when your Amazon package came in on time for Christmas this year. I mean, you were glad about that. You know, you were glad when you found a parking on the first floor of the parking garage today. On your, you know, whenever you got here to church, everybody was like, amen. All right, okay. So you were, you were excited and glad about that. But these guys were beside themselves. I mean, the guy that they thought was dead, the guy that they thought, you know, was, that was it, that he was not coming back, the guy that that they were so afraid that, man, we're going to get killed because of this guy. You know, that man had just all of a sudden appeared in the room right in front of them and said, hey, peace be with you guys. Look at my hands. Look at my side. Like, check this out. I'm here. They're so, they're beside themselves. They're exhilarated. They're excited. They're electric because Jesus had now beat death. Jesus had proven who he was. He finally beat death. Death. He said, or he, he was who he said he was. He did what he said he was going to do. And these guys are going crazy. These guys are going crazy. They went from fearful, terrified, hopeless, to excited, electric, and most importantly, passionate about Jesus 
Again, they were passionate. Their passion was back with a vengeance. In fact, later, like soon after this, they would go and they would preach to 3,000 people. And 3,000 people would step into a relationship with Christ because of how passionate they were. So what was the difference? What was the difference? What happened in that moment? And so Paul writes this um, in Scripture because, you know, therefore, you know, Jesus beat crucifixion. He beat death. That means everything that he said before was true. Everything, every lifestyle you know, choice that he made was correct. Every single thing that he did before was true because he did what he said he was going to do. And so Paul writes this in Scripture, 1 Corinthians uh, verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 14. It says this, And if Christ has not been raised, if Christ did not beat death, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. If Christ did not beat death, that he did not you know, rise again, then our preaching is useless and so is our faith. Well, good thing for us is that everything that we're doing here means something. Every, this gathering right here is, is, is not for nothing. This gathering right here is not you know, just to inspire you, not just to, to give you tools to a successful life, but this gathering right here is to celebrate an event. It's to celebrate a man who beat death, a God who proved to us who he really is. And this is important to understand for our conversation, okay? Because if you are a follower of Jesus, if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, you woke up this morning and you believe that Jesus is the son of God who uh, took on flesh by way of virgin birth by Mary, what we just celebrated this past week, um, lived a perfect life and died a death on a cross for our sins and then defeated death, hell, and the grave and then rose again. And if you believe that he is alive today in your heart and in this room like I do and like City Tribe does, then this is what you are called to um, by Paul written in 1 Corinthians 10.31. He says this, so whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the, what's that word? Glory. Oh, come on. What's that word? Glory. glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. So what does this have to do with our passion? What does this have to do with the fact that we lost passion for our job or, you know, we lost passion for our marriage or our family or our, our friend group? You know, what does it have to do with any of that? Well, here's the thing. If you have stepped into a relationship with Christ, then you are called to give God glory in everything that you do. Every single thing that you do. But here's the thing. It's awfully difficult to give God glory if you're not in a position to give God glory. And it's hard to give God glory in every single thing you do if you're not in a spot in your life where you actually want to give God glory. There's no doubt that life circumstances and situations, you know, have, you know, dwindled and, and have, you know, kind of just chipped away at our passion for God. But here's the thing. If you're a call to give God glory in all things, that means you have to be passionate about God. You have to be passionate about God. I know there's no doubt that some of us here, we're looking ahead at 21 days of prayer, and we have zero desire. We have zero desire to pray or fast about anything because we're either frustrated at God or we're frustrated at our life so much, or we've allowed life to wedge itself between us and God, that that word passion and God are not in the same sentence for us. But, you know, I want to just give you this idea. I want to give you this idea that, that passion is where Jesus is. And I'm going to boldly submit to you this idea that, that if you are living a passionless life, there's a chance that you are living a life apart 
from Jesus. You may, have, you may believe in Jesus and you may you know, know about him. You may know his teachings, but there's a good chance that you are not in the same room with Jesus right now. And so, you know, and, I, and I've been there. I mean, I, I've, I've stepped on stages before where my passion for God wasn't necessarily the greatest. And it's, it's a hard and, and just terrible feeling. And, it, and it's a sucky feeling really to operate out of because, you know, you constantly feel like you're letting people down. You feel like you're letting God down. You feel like, you know, you can do better and you know better. You just don't know how to find the freedom to be able to do better. And, and see, the disciples, they were no different than you. They, they knew every sermon. They knew, they knew every single principle. They knew his teaching. They knew everything about Jesus they needed to know to have hope while they were in that room, yet all was lost. Why? Because Jesus wasn't in the room with them. And the moment that Jesus reappeared back in the room, then all of a sudden, boom, their passion was back because passion is where Jesus is. Where Jesus is, you're going to find passion. And, and, and where passion is, you're going to find Jesus. I mean, it, they're just, they go hand in hand, and I don't know each of your stories, and I don't know what you're going through. I don't know, you know, how 2019 was for you. For me, pretty good. Not going to brag, okay? But I don't know how 2019 was for you. But I do know that there are two areas in my life that I always have to go and look at, and those areas will clearly tell me, hey, you are you're either, you know, walking your life with Christ, or you've allowed life to wedge yourself between you and God, and so. You know, if these apply to you, awesome, right? Then, then apply them to your life and let's start walking in freedom together. Um, if not, if you're like, hey, you know what? I'm pretty passionate about God right now, so I think I'm good. Okay, cool. We'll write this down anyways and save this for later because life's not perfect and we go through ups and downs and you will eventually need this, um, you know, in the future. And so, uh, so number one, the, the, the first thing that I look at and I ask myself is, do I have tunnel vision? Everybody say tunnel vision. Okay, so tunnel vision is essentially... When we go and we pick and choose, you know, areas of scripture that we were like, hey, that's important to me. That's important to me. I'm going to obey that. And then we then, pick, we then pick and choose. I don't need to listen to that. That doesn't apply to me. I'm good. And we do this. You know, a lot of us do this. And you'd be surprised when I, when I break this down. Um, and this isn't anything new. I mean, people have been doing this for for you know, many years, when Jesus even addresses this in Mark chapter 7, as he's talking to the Pharisees, he says this, thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. He's saying you, you, you know, by your traditions, you make void the word of God and you do many things like that. And so basically what Jesus is addressing here is he's talking to these Pharisees who think they're better than everybody else, who are expecting everybody to live the way that they live and to walk the way that they walk. And he's telling them, hey, you, you nullify the word of God when you do this. You, for them, the word of God was the Torah, was the first five books of the Bible. And what they were doing is they were picking and choosing. Hey, I want people to obey this. I want people to abide by this. I want people to abide by this. All right. Now, if you're not falling into this, then God is not with you. God doesn't care about you. You know, all the, you, you are an outcast. And so Jesus is here and he's addressing this. He's saying, hey, this is what you're doing. And you got to stop doing it. And, and you and I, we do the same thing. We pick and choose. Um, a, a, an area in our lives, maybe an area in culture, and we take this biblical stance on it, and we go, I'm standing here, this is the most important thing, and, and you need to line up with this way of thinking, right? And so what happens, what happens is when we do that, then, and, we, and we're taking on this biblical principle, yes, we're passionate because Jesus said this, and I'm going to abide by what Jesus said. But what happens is it often leads to this loveless lifestyle towards people who are not living within that biblical principle. And when I get tunnel vision, essentially when I have allowed life 
you know, you know, the news and life circumstances and family drama and all this stuff, when I've allowed that to get between me and God, then what happens is I get this tunnel vision towards, you know, parents who are maybe acting a fool and should be doing better in raising their kids or students who are not making the best choices, even though I just talked about it yesterday. I mean, like I, I get this vision and I get frustrated. And lucky for me, I have this tribe that is there to remind me, hey, man, you're getting tunnel vision. Like, stop. What are you doing? Because what happens is, though I'm standing so strong over here and defending this principle and doing everything I can to ensure that the people that I surround myself with are living within this principle, I am then, I am then neglecting the person who made the principle, which is Jesus. And then I am then neglecting the tone in which he would address the situation. You get what I'm saying here? He, he would then, I'm, I'm then neglecting that and I get tunnel vision. And we see this. If, you're, if you are not a uh, follower of Jesus, I, I, you know, I totally understand that. And I, get, and I get why, because you would agree with me when I say this, that today in America, Christians are known more for what they stand against than how they love. Would you agree? Yeah. And that's sad to me. That's sad to me. But what it is is that there are a bunch of Christians that are walking around with tunnel vision. All right? It's not that they don't believe in Jesus. It's not that they're not doing good or they're not standing up for good things, but they're walking with tunnel vision. And so people know them now more for what they are standing against than for who or how or what they love. And, you know, if we're going to abide by Scripture, if we're going to walk in Scripture, that means we have to walk in awe of Scripture, not just what we want to abide by. And it's easy to walk in Scripture when you're close with Jesus. I mean, we see what we're called to here in 1 John 4, 8. Well, the Bible says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is what? God is love. Turn to the person next to you and say, I love you. All right, turn to your second option and say, I love you. God is love. The scripture is going as far to say this. If you do not love, then you don't know God. That's a big deal. And so how do we fix tunnel vision? How do we go from a place of you're either in line with this or I'm not before you, Two, God, I want to be passionate about what you love. What does God love more than anything in this entire world? Say it out loud. That's not a trick question. Us. People. He loves people. He loves people. So if you're going to say, God, I want to be passionate about you. God, I'm going to stand for you. God, I'm going to do everything for you. Ooh, but I'm not going to love that person. That was a mistake, right? Like, there's no way that you made that on purpose, right? If you, if you do that, I'm, people say it. You'd be surprised. Like, how are they a part of my family? You know, like, so like... If you were going to say, then that's a problem, that means you have tunnel vision. The way to fix that, the way that I fix that is I have to stop and remind myself, God, you died for that person too. God, you love that person too. God, you care about that person too. All right? Turn to your neighbor and say, don't have tunnel vision. Tell them love people. Now, the second way, the second way that I, that I address um, whether or not life has now wedged itself between myself and Jesus, because again, Passion is where Jesus is, and I want to be where passion is. That means I want to be where Jesus is. Um, it, then, then I have to look at my unchecked thoughts. We all have these thoughts. We all have these thoughts. An example, I, um, about a year ago, my, my car, the alternator on my car broke down. Um, it, it just exploded just out of nowhere. It freaked me out. I was scared. I called my mom. I didn't know what to do, okay? <laughs> and... And uh, she was like, well, walk far away from it. It might explode. And I was like, okay. So I just walked away. <laughs> so my car broke down, all right? Went to the shop. I got it back. The day that I got it back, 
I got in my first ever car accident. I know, gosh, so annoying. Okay, and then, and then the next day, because thank God my car was drivable. The next day, as I was leaving the house, I got, well, apparently, apparently, I didn't stop fully at a stop sign, okay? <laughs> and I got pulled over, okay? This was all within the span of a month. October of 2018 was a month where life just happened and it just poured on and it was just like an avalanche and it was just going and I didn't know how to make it stop. And so what happened was my thoughts started to go unchecked, you know, in this moment. I started thinking to myself, like, God, how could you let this happen to me? God, I'm a pastor. You know, like, how dare you? How dare you, you know, let me go through this? Like, I'm supposed to be blessed and highly favored, God. You know, like, I, this was a mindset that I was having, and my thoughts were going unchecked, and I started getting frustrated at the Lord. And then on top of that, I started then getting frustrated at the people around me. It wasn't their fault. Right? It wasn't their fault that I was in the situation that I was in. It was my fault. Yet, I was letting my thoughts go unchecked, and there's nothing more that the enemy wants than for you to think a thought and allow that thought to separate you from walking your best life with Jesus. There's nothing that he wants more. In fact, you know, Paul, you know, knows this, which is why he, give, uh, he gives us this, this scripture here in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3, where he says this, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. He's talking about the spiritual war, the battle between God and the devil and how we're kind of like in the middle of it. And the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On contrary, they have divine power. Let me say divine power. power. To demolish strongholds. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, what's a stronghold? A stronghold is a prison. It is this prison that the enemy will constantly try to trap you in. And oftentimes, the lock on the door of that prison cell is deceit. It's a lie. It's invisible. It doesn't exist. Yet, if he can get you to convince it, you won't even try to open the door. I mean, we see this a lot in videos where, you know, dogs think the sliding door is closed, and so they won't walk through until the owner goes by and invisibly opens the door, and then he walks through. It's the cutest video ever. Look it up. If you haven't seen it, you're missing out. Okay? (laughs) But the enemy will do this to you. And so the enemy will whisper... This lie to you. You're a bad driver. No, I'm not. I am. Okay, so <laughs> you're a bad driver or you're going to end up just like your parents or your, your kid's always going to be that way or, you know, God doesn't really love you. He doesn't really care about you. That's why all this bad stuff's happening to you. I mean, he's going to whisper these lies to try to deceive you. But the thing is, and what's cool about this is that as you remind yourself of the authority of Christ in your life, then you can remind yourself and you can remind the enemy, hey, you know what? I have the power within me to demolish those strongholds. And so, you know, if you've lived your life and, and, and you know, your parents were a certain way and their parents were a certain way and the parents before them were a certain way, right? And now everybody's expecting you to be that certain way. Well, who says? Who says? Because what my Bible tells me is that you have the power to demolish that way of thinking. Verse 5 goes on to say this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Real quick, real quick, in Scripture, Jesus is referred to as the key of knowledge. So if you're with Jesus, that means you have access to the knowledge of God. And here we go. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You have access to that knowledge through Jesus, through passion. We take captive. Everybody say, take captive and make a fist. We take captive every thought to make it obedient 
to Christ. Take captive means take by sword or spear. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. And so how are we supposed to respond when the worries of life, the stresses of life, the, the anxieties of life are so much for us to handle and they're trying to wedge themselves in between us and Jesus? We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. And that's how we keep Jesus close to us. Well, how? How do we do that? Well, we see this in Philippians, the answer is Philippians 4, verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition. This is good practice for next week, all right? By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Present your request to God. And so what you're going to do is you have your worries, and then you have God. And oftentimes what we do is we, we're stressed out and we're freaked out and, and we have no hope and all this stuff. And so we, we, take our, we take our worry and we go, God, I trust you with my kids. They're acting a fool right now. And so please help me. Okay. And then you stand there and you wait for God to respond. And you're just like, okay. Okay, you're taking too long. I want it back. And then you take it back. And you go, I'm going to figure it out. And then your relationship's not going very well and your marriage is kind of falling apart. And you're like, okay, God, I trust you with my marriage. Okay, God, please, please help me. And then you take it back and you say, no, God, I'm sorry. You're taking too long. I got, I'll figure this out. Don't worry. But the issue is when we do that, it, you know, the enemy has convinced us that our worries are too big and our God is too small. And so, you know, in that case, there's really no hope for us. But what the Bible tells us that as we take captive every thought and we, and we make it obedient to Christ, that we have the authority to demolish that way of thinking. And when you begin to practice that and you begin to walk in that, then what happens is your God gets way bigger and your worries all of a sudden get way smaller. And so we take captive every thought, regardless of what it is, we make it obedient to Christ by way of prayer and petition. That word petition literally means a written request uh, to a higher authority, a written appeal to a higher authority. I mean, this is kind of silly, but I mean, I'm going to ask you guys, write out what stresses you out, right? Write out your worry, go home, get a box. I have a bowl at home now, which is pretty nice. My stepmom and dad gave it to me for Christmas, and it's beautiful. And, you know, you write, write down, it has these little cards where I get to write down my prayer request. And I write it down. I say, God, this is what's stressing me out. This is worrying me. I'm going to trust you with it. And then you trust him with it. Right? Literally write down your request and present it to God and symbolically allow this box to symbolize God for you. I mean, this is a good thing to do with your family. This is a good thing if you're, you, know, you live alone to do at home in your, in your God time. Right? Write down your requests, present them to God, and trust them. Right? Make them obedient. Keep Jesus close in way of that. And then do what I do okay? when you're at 2 in the morning and the Instagram feed stopped refreshing because everybody's asleep. Okay, and you're stressing about that thing still, and you're still thinking about it, right? Get out of your bed, right? Take, take it back from God and say, God, I'm going to take care of this for a little bit. And then remind yourself of the authority that Christ can have in your life if you let him and resubmit it back to him. And then go back to sleep. I mean, this is how. Practice this. We've got to practice. We've got to practice. Practice keeping Jesus Close, because when you do, then you are constantly reminding yourself, Jesus, you have so much authority that literally any sort of life circumstance that I go through has no match compared to you. Has no match compared 
to you. Turn to your neighbor and say, make a box. Turn to your neighbor again and say, but really, make a box. When we do this, when we do this and we trust God and we say, God, you know what? Like, my worries are no match for your authority. My worries have no match for you. Then this promise is true for us. And look at this, Philippians 4, uh, 4 verse 7, where Paul writes this. And the peace of God, everybody say peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that transcends all understanding for your thinking people. And this is kind of hard for you to understand because you know, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Sometimes you'll be going through, you'll be going through life and it'd be probably the worst life circumstance you will ever experience your entire life. But yet you go and you trust God and you have been filled with the peace of God and it doesn't make sense why you're calm about it. It doesn't make sense why you feel like everything's under control when everything seems to be falling apart. It just doesn't make sense because sometimes God just doesn't make sense and he does stuff for you that he can only do for you and it won't make sense to anybody around you. But the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Check your thoughts. Keep Jesus close. Passion is where Jesus is. And we're called to live a very passionate life then we are called to live a life where we are staying close to Jesus as much as we can. I mean, Jesus, his disciples, who again, sat in every sermon and experienced every single note that he has given, every single uh, principle that he gave, right? They knew all that while they're hiding in this room, yet they were still afraid, yet they were still hopeless. Why? Because Jesus wasn't in the room with them. But the moment that Jesus was back there, then their, then their fear turned to passion in a moment, and the same could be for you and for me, because the same God who, you know, was born of a virgin, the same God who lived a perfect life and then died a death on the cross and then defeated that death by, you know, defeating the grave and defeating hell and then, you know, rising again three days later. And the same God who appeared and walked through the walls of that little room is the same exact God who can walk through the walls of your heart if you let him, if you Allow him. So this is the appropriate time for us to just bow together and let's pray together for a couple of things. One, if you have walked into this place today and you don't know who this God is, you're like, man, you've been talking about this Jesus and he seems pretty dope. Okay, then, then this is an opportunity for you. Because we believe that this, that this God is still alive today, that Jesus is alive today in this room. And he brought you here for a purpose. He brought you here not by coincidence or by chance, but by specific plan of your life to receive him into your life. And so um, if that's you, then you can repeat after me. You can say this out loud. You can say this to yourself. You can say, Jesus, up until this point, I acknowledge that my life has kept me from you. But today I choose to accept you and receive you into my heart. And that from this day forward, I acknowledge that I am no longer walking alone, but in fact, I am walking with your spirit who is alive inside of me right now. And Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are, that you are the son of God, that you did defeat death and that you did come to save me. Now, for those of us who, you know, do know Jesus already or, you know, and we're walking through life in 2019, which is, oh, man, it was, it was a tough year. You know, then I want to pray for you for a second. You know, if, if you've walked in here and your, your passion for God is non-existent and your, your excitement to, you know, to be at City Tribe is just really isn't there too much, then 
Um, let me pray for you. And so, Lord, I just pray just a blessing over every single person in this place. I, I pray um, for just the peace of God to just wash over every single person, you know, every single circumstance, whether good or bad. And, um, God, I just pray right now that, that you just give us moments in the next couple of days before this year is over that, that remind us of how good you are and how much you care about us and how much you love us so that we can now step into the passionate life that you have created us to be, regardless of what job we have or what family we have or what friend group we have, that we can still live a passionate life as long as we are walking with you. And so, Jesus, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you uh, for all that you do. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you. It's your name we pray. And everybody said, oh, come on, everybody said, high five the person next to you say, get your passion back. We're glad you're a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.